Hey guys, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Infinite Worlds podcast. I am your host, Winston Ward, along with my badass co-host, Nick the Tooth. Say hi, Nick. What up? In this episode, we're going to talk about the overlap of two of the most important genres in literature, and that is science fiction, which we always discuss, and horror. And we're going to talk about the overlap of those two things and how they go hand in hand. And we've got tons of examples, tons of history, tons of discussion. This is a pretty long episode, so you guys stay tuned. This is going to be a really, really good episode. So stoked. All right, y'all. Let's do it. All right, dude. I am in, of all places, London, England, and we are doing our, really, our inaugural freaking uh, Infinite Worlds, Infinite Horror episode man i'm so that's right, stoked that's right. man so pumped so yeah, we're going to is... talk about a little uh, bit of the melding of the two right totally uh i'm excited for this episode because okay for those of you guys who don't haven't figured it out already i am a independent publisher and i publish infinite worlds magazine which is what the podcast is based on pretty soon i don't know ex- an exact date quite yet but we've got the social media rolling and we're getting gofundme or a crowd funding situation put together here pretty directly for infinite horrors magazine which will be the horror companion magazine to infinite worlds full print full color ad free just like infinite worlds so we're getting there so in celebration of that we're going to talk about how uh the two genres sort of overlap we're going to talk about the 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 section of the center of the venn diagram between the two genres so i'm i'm pretty excited for this one you know yeah, it's so it's so cool, man. It was almost like, you know, we kind of hinted at it or we delved into it with the Alien franchise, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And, and how that was like, I don't know, that has to be the greatest melding of the two. But the reality is, I don't know many people who are into one and not at least somewhat into the other. Like, I'm not a slasher fan, but I love horror. And, right. But but my favorite my favorite like genre is sci-fi weird psychedelic horror right we talked um, about heavy metal and how how much horror is in that right that original uh absolutely. animated movie oh absolutely uh, there are some segments of that movie the movie's mostly sci-fi or science fantasy but then there are a couple of sections that are just straight horror like the like we talked about the zombie undead world war ii airship section of that movie that's just straight horror but before we get to the episode let's catch up man because uh okay uh you mentioned right here at the intro that you're in all places of london i think people who've listened to the previous episodes know that you you know you're a man of traveling tell us about the the adventure getting to london what's going on man what's going on with you i'm actually pretty pumped because in the middle of a global pandemic which is pretty rad because so many of my favorite horror movies do have to do with pandemics (laughs) and um so like 28 days later which was shot by danny boyle in of all places, London. So we're going to talk about Danny Boyle today. Cool. Um, but uh, but yeah, man, I just flew over. Um, I've been here in quarantine for five days now, and I just got out. So I was able to walk to the gym with my daughter. Um, she's been over here for a few years. She married a Brit. And so now I'm in London of all places, man. I'm so pumped. So pumped. Um, yeah. 
So what's the plan uh, after London, hanging out with the daughter and then, and then what? Hanging out with the daughter unit. I, my real plan was to get over to, uh, to Portugal because I, I really want to make a permanent move to, uh, to Europe. And, uh, I, you know, I just posted something, I think it was yesterday on my Instagram from a quote from Anthony Bourdain. And he, he said, you know what, if you want to do anything to fucking enrich your life, move move mm. and move far away you know kind of like you <laughs> just did right you just moved yeah. from georgia and yeah. now you're less than a year ago yeah that's right yeah. also almost, during the pandemic too so you know like, <laughs> <laughs> it's almost you know it's it's like the two things that will shake up your worldview the most that i've found are psychedelics which are really I, i've had this epiphany lately to where it's like i kind of like really weird psychedelic horror that's my favorite absolutely genre. Right. Oh, we've. Uh, I think we've talked about that some so far. <laughs> a million times, right? And so, but the other thing is travel, and mm. the more extreme form of travel, though, is like you know, don't go somewhere and stay at a Four Seasons hotel. It's like go somewhere and move, and right. just get where you're just like completely unhinged and just disengaged from everything that you know. Um, and all of a sudden you got to assimilate. Right. And that's really what, you know, you think about it. What is Star Trek? Right. It's like almost an, I was thinking about this too. It's like an anthropology series where they encounter a new alien species every episode and they have to figure it out. How do what's going on here? What is it? And that's what moving. I think that's what Anthony Bourdain was talking about. So, are you making no. sure you're uh, respecting the Prime Directive while you're over there? <laughs> um, I don't. I don't think I, I will. I'm going to be more James Kirk than Fred. <laughs> you know, but that's cool, man. That's cool. See, these are like real life applications of understanding of science fiction, like applied to real life. You know what I mean? Of course people were moving way before science fiction was ever a thing, obviously settling, you know, explorers were sailing across the ocean, like 500, 600, 700 years ago, but you're right. You know what I mean? It's like an entire paradigm shift. You do have to get in touch with that anthropology, you know, whether you like it or not, because there are just cultural differences. And, and it's it's true. Like it or not is a very important aspect of it because when you do psychedelics, I mean, dude, there's a bit of discomfort there for about 20, sure. 30% of the journey, right? Right. And so, you, dude, you have to anticipate I'm going to be uncomfortable and I need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah, it's, right? the, it's the paradigm shift. You know what I mean? It, it is. It takes you out of your comfort zone. But getting taken out of your comfort zone, like you said, that's the way towards growth You know, as, a, as an individual. Staying comfortable, you know, you can't grow staying comfortable. I'm an old hardcore metal kid growing up. But there's this band Trial, and one of the songs they have has this great line that I've always loved, and it's, the path of least resistance will destroy you in time. Mm. And I've always really liked that quote because it implies that if you're not trying to grow or trying to challenge yourself, then you're just slowly dying. You know, you know, you're always on some adventure, obviously, you know, and that's one of the reasons that we, you know, are able to bond so well and do this podcast together is because we have a similar mindset in that respect. But, you know, like you got a lot of respect for you. We're always taking risks, jumping and doing new things. I mean, you have a, you're old enough so that you have a married daughter and you're like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to move to Europe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
and you know what? I, I was told her today, we were walking to the gym and I'm like, I'm so proud of you, you know, that you just got up and moved and left. And I, I think part of the reason that she had that kind of mindset to just go ahead and do it when she met someone that she loved and to take that chance was, you know, we raised her. We always moved her. We were always mm. like, you know what? Sorry, we're moving. You know, <laughs> sorry, we're going here. And, we're, and so she never really got too ensconced in any area, you know. And so she was always like, I think that she has that mindset herself. And that's why I want to live in Europe, because there are so many countries that are so close. If you think about Western Europe, it's as big as the United States, right? Right. And so you can visit, you know, but. Paris and, you know, Spain and Portugal, that's just really like the Western United States. So, yeah, I'm pumped on that. Well, okay. So one of the things that keeps a lot of people from moving and taking steps like these is fear, you know, and uh, uh, people are afraid of change. And I think that's a really good way to transition into our episode that's an uh, because, epic segue, dude. I love uh, but, that. <laughs> well, I, I think fear of change, uh, it's sort of like the root of all horror, you know, because in truth, the ultimate change, the change that can't be described to you is death. And mankind, oh, wow. we've talked about so many times uh, over the course of this podcast, we're grappling with what it means to be a human being, you know, and one of the most difficult parts of that challenge of grappling with what it means to be a human being is grappling with mortality is grappling mm. with the ever present knowledge that our existences such as they are, are finite, that they will come to an end and death eventually overtakes all of us, at least to this point in history, you know, there is according to science fiction, or, uh, you know, other fiction, a way to escape death, a way to uh, overcome death, to become immortal. And, you know, a lot of science fiction deals with that. A lot of science fiction deals with uploading our consciousnesses into the cloud or creating cybernetic bodies to house our personalities that, so that they could just, you know, continuously be replaced into new bodies from now on and con- our consciousnesses will live on forever. But there's a whole other half of science fiction that deals with the other thing. And that is the end, the end of it all, the end of everything. And that's the horror influenced part of science fiction. And that's what we're going to focus on in today's episode. I love that, dude. I just had like the most awesome wave of deja vu where I was like, oh my God, we're like, I'm sitting in this like congregation and you are giving a sermon for the Church of Infinite Worlds, right? <laughs> I'm serious, man. I'm like, you know what? It could be like a cult because what every church, let's face it, I was thinking about this the other day. I was like, every church, if you think about it, it's just a mini cult. That's all it is. Totally. I don't care. Yeah, uh, 100%. <laughs> right? I don't care what you call it. Presbyterian, Pentecostal, they're all fucking cults, right? The only difference between a cult and a religion is popularity. <laughs> right but why not start like a cool call it could be like a fun call like everybody could be like hey we're all equal no one's you know it's like oh that would be so i cool. think that's kind of i think that's sort of what um l ron hubbard did like my understanding of that although this is you know 
legendary, you know, and could be some rooted in truth and some rooted in fact. But allegedly, L. Ron Hubbard started Scientology as sort of a goof, as a bet between other science fiction writers that he could do it. Wow. That he, he was, he could see the simplicity of starting a cult and use science fiction as a, uh, an instrument to do it uh, as a, uh, backdrop. I, I think it's rad. I think it's like, you know what? Goof on these stupid preachers who take <laughs> themselves so seriously, right? They're so fucking moral and judgmental and like, ah, oh, but I'm sanctioned by it. It's like, come on, man. <laughs> That's why I can never be a cult leader is because I lack certainty. You know what I mean? That's something that like, cult leaders really you know have to what? have. Because I, yeah, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't but, fucking know. I look at all this information and I, you know, think about it and I theorize and I have my own philosophies that I apply to them or whatever, but I don't know anything. I'm not, I, I, no deity has come down and been like, here's the real truth. So you got to let everybody know. I'll tell you straight up that has never happened or anything remotely <laughs> like that. So don't come, don't come to me looking for definitive answers folks because that i i don't have <laughs> i do but, not even go but close i could i could start a cult because i'm so certain in that uncertainty ah would, yes I the would, cult of I the would, cult of uncertainty right i would be like listen there are no answers and let's just embrace that yeah let's embrace yeah, well, the uncertainty and enjoy ourselves i'll tell you what if i were to embrace any philosophy it would be that the, certain, right? the certainty of uncertainty because that is definitely how I feel. Like you can't know. I've probably mentioned this before on the podcast. So if I'm repeating myself, if you're uh, binging the podcast and you just heard me say this like two hours ago, sorry. <laughs> I've, I believe everyone, whether they like it or not. And again, this is just my own view. So don't take this as any sort of judgment or anything. But uh, I believe that all people, whether they like it or not, are agnostic because nobody actually knows. Oh my God, yeah. You know what I mean? You don't know. You don't know. You think you you have your beliefs and you know what? No one's going to take that away from you. More power to you. Have your beliefs. Totally fine. Obviously. Totally your right to do that. But pretending that your beliefs are universal to all people is foolishness written large, man. It is, the, it is, it's so foolish to think that your perception of reality is the master perception is as it's the, everyone, it should feel the same way as you. And that's just, it's just wrong. Don't do that. That's totally. you're being, you're being foolish when you do that. It's incorrect. Don't do yeah. that. <laughs> I love it. I love it. The cult of uncertainty and agnosticism. I love it. I'm down and non-judgment. Let's freaking make sure that's the second tenet of the cult. Well, okay. So I, I always get caught up in this conversation because of the paradox of tolerance. So, you know, like I'm definitely for no judgment. I think everybody should be allowed to be how they are. But once they're being fascist bullies, basically, if they're trying to weed out one certain group and be like, okay, so you guys are going to be less than everyone else somehow because of something you can't control, you know, like racist or sexist or, you know, that kind of thing, then there's a problem. Then you can't really tolerate that. So you got to do something about that, which is, you know, how we end up with all human conflict, in my opinion, like all wars start typically because one person wants to exercise control over another in some way or another. Always, dude. Always. I don't have answers for that shit either. <laughs> okay. Last thing that I want right. to talk about is what the F is going on with all these UFO disclosures. I've been like... I don't know. Like, I, I'm one of these... You, we've talked about this many times. I'm an evidence-based person, so show me the evidence and I'll believe it. But 
the more disclosures I see, the more like interested I become. I'm still not convinced. You know what I mean? There's still not been any convincing, irrefutable evidence that I've seen so far. But I've definitely got my ears open on this one for sure. Like I want yeah. it to be true. Yeah, I want to <laughs> believe, right? I want to believe. I know, dude, I am so, I'm growing more intrigued by the week. I'm like going, you know what? I've been watching all these videos. I've been listening to some the podcasts. The spherical object that splashed down into the water that was released by the Navy. I don't know if you've seen that one. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Uh, that, that one's it. pretty recent. That, like, and of yeah. course, there is probably some logical explanation. Uh, it's definitely probably an Occam's razor type deal that, you know, we just don't, uh, we don't have all the info, but it is definitely very like intriguing footage. It's not doctored. It's real footage. I don't know what the hell it is. No, and, and, and you know what else about it though? Occam's razor. What's fucking gnarly about this is that Occam's razor, razor is leading to a conclusion that is still mind blowing in the sense that, you know, we are seeing not only footage, but we are seeing, and, and let me talk about the footage. Neil deGrasse Tyson brought up the point, well, we're in 2021. Why don't we have better footage? But I listened to Jeremy Corbell refute that. And Jeremy Corbell has been the one who's been releasing all these videos. He's like, listen, these are state-of-the-art freaking cameras that are built for one thing. And that is anti-aircraft like and for security reasons to for anti-missile all that yeah they're not supposed to be capturing hd you know this isn't hollywood but yeah exactly they're they're built for one thing and that is to protect you know for national security and so uh as far as the footage quality it goes with that but secondly we also have radar data data that they're releasing and it's like these things are showing up on radar and so even if it's another government or it's our own government we are talking about technology that no one knows exists in the public well this happened before this has happened before i mean this happened with stealth bomber and stealth fighter technology in the 70s and you know those those planes were so far ahead of all of the other planes that people saw them and thought for sure that they were ufos and because they, you know, the government had been covertly testing them for a long time. Differences that we're talking about big planes, big objects that are moving without any type of wings, without any type of type of exhaust. Well, you're not wrong. Just, and they're running at like not 1G or 3G at 10Gs. These things are like 60Gs. And they're like a, a aircraft that we have today wouldn't even, couldn't even withhold that type of pressure. So... Yeah, I mean, crazy. I bet they could if they were flown by Will Smith, though. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> I, you know, I'm just I saying. Okay, it. all right. Okay, so but this is another this is another pretty good segue into the episode because uh, alien visitation and this particular unknown is a heavy hitter in the horror sci-fi genre, and we're gonna yeah. put a pin in that, and come right back to it. But before we do all that, we're gonna start with another little history lesson, as you know, I love to do that. And like most of our history lessons, it starts with Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, which was released in 1818, often considered to be the first science fiction novel. But it is also a gothic horror novel. So whether or not you consider it to be a science fiction novel, and that's, you know, debated, the fact that it's a gothic horror novel is pretty irrefutable. And it deals with the topic we just talked about, death and overcoming death. And which has uh, been a topic in 
literature throughout time. I mean, always there it's in the Bible, it's in the Bhagavad Gita, it's everywhere. So when science fiction begins, uh, at least the science fiction novel genre begins, it begins as a mix of science fiction and horror. The two things are already intrinsically bound together. If you think about it, it's such a dope freaking premise for her to come up with, which is we're going to cobble together a bunch of body parts and mm -hmm. then animate them with like electricity and bring it. So, I mean, that is rad sci-fi. I think even for today, it's like mind blowing. How cool. Absolutely. Had the, had the idea never been somehow never been thought of between 1818 and now, and you were to create a book like that, it would still be groundbreaking. Of course. I don't know how the genre would have possibly advanced without the book to begin with, but you, you never know. Okay, so, oh, well, before we move on, let me just talk to that point you just made. Uh, I've mentioned this before, too, and Mary Shelley got the idea for Frankenstein by watching electrical current being run through severed animal limbs and watching mm, them move. That makes sense. So she was experiencing this real-life spectacle of science, but... I don't believe there's a way to watch that, at least not in the early 1800s, and not feel fear because it stands in contrast to everything you've ever known about death, that your body stops moving and then that's it. It doesn't move again. But Mary Shelley and all the other people of early 1800s, through the miracle of science, through the conduction of electricity, were able to see that universal fact that had been a universal fact through all of human history before changed you know and it doesn't mean that the frog leg or whatever it was that they were electrocuting i think it was a frog leg but i could be wrong even though it doesn't mean that those things were alive again it did make them animated again and you know at the time the uh animation was tantamount to life and that idea of being animated but whether or not you are alive being in question has been throughout science fiction throughout. And we're going to put a pin in that and get back to that too. Okay. So you got Mary Shelley's Frankenstein and uh, you know, it causes a big uproar. And then the science fiction novel genre didn't really just immediately take hold. It, it didn't quite work like that because, you know, it hadn't really been identified as a genre, just sort of a one-off at that point. And even though there are probably plenty of other examples that I could call upon, I think the next big example in the mainstream of horror and science fiction being combined into popular culture is The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, which was an, another gothic novel written by uh, Scottish author Robert Louis Stevenson in 1886. So this is like almost 70 years after Mary Shelley's Frankenstein debuts, that the next big pop culture thing combining horror and science fiction became popular. For those who aren't familiar with Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, it's about a well-mannered, uh, respected scientist who invents a formula that changes him into a hulking, maniacal, beast-like man and completely changes personality, basically makes him into a monster. And, you know, that story, I'm sure you guys are all, I don't, I don't think I had to explain it. I'm probably underestimating our audience here by over-explaining stuff like this. But, you know, that idea too of science turning you into something that isn't you is also 
played on into science fiction lore as well. No, I love that idea. I think that's another like amazing premise. When you brought that up, I it's that's one of those premises again, like Frankenstein, that I've always thought there is so much relevant in that because it's almost like that uh, that cartoon, the Disney uh, or Pixar, the Inside Out. It's like dude, mm, modern psychology. Yeah, and modern psychology is based on, or one of the movements in modern psychology is saying that, wait a minute, we do have very distinct personalities within us. It's not just that whole horror Sybil thing. It's like, no, you have competing freaking separate, complete, sentient almost beings inside of you. And I'm, all, I'm so fascinated in that. And, I, and that brings it out, right? Yeah, and this kind of calls back to like spiritualism and how, you know, people thought like demons would enter your body and possess you and change your personality. And it's also explainable in psychology and observable in psychology in schizophrenia, in multiple personality disorder. And it's a real observable thing where separate people, separate consciousnesses do inhabit the same body. When that happens to a person, I can't even begin to imagine the horror of that. But when that does happen to a person, your existence is occasionally kind of put on pause while a different existence, you know, has its turn, I guess. And every time that happens, it must be in some way akin to death to you. You know what I mean? Oh, that's a really good insight, man. That's a re- you know what it reminds me of? It kind of foreshadows, and this is a real world thing of of guys who do, or even some women who do steroids, and they have ro- roid rage, and they mm. like fly off the freaking handle because of some chemical substance, like in Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, and murder somebody, and then they're like, I don't even remember doing it. There have been several instances of that. Other types of drugs as well, too, not just performance-enhancing drugs like methamphetamine. (laughs) Yeah, basalt. Crack. Somebody's uh, face off. LSD. You know, people have gotten gone on acid and killed other people, killed themselves. PCP. Yeah. PCP. Exactly. So, in a a way, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde kind of foreshadowed the drug abuse problem of the twentieth and twenty-first centuries. Crazy, huh? It's that another example of science fiction writers, even though calling Robert Louis Stevenson a science fiction writer per se might be pushing it, but there's no question that this particular work had science fiction elements to it and use those elements to look into the future. Well, I bet the next one you're going to go into is War of the Worlds. Well, before I go into the War of the Worlds, the next thing we're definitely going to go into is H.G. Wells. And H.G. Wells, we've talked about him before when we did the War of the Worlds episode, but I think it's kind of important to remember the kind of genius this guy was. When you look at science fiction now, especially after all the 20th century and 21st century writers and the ideas have become so advanced and so trippy, so layered and intricate, it's real easy to look at H.G. Wells stuff and be like, well, that's old-timey, corny, old-timey stuff. But this guy was coming up with all of the original ideas, guys, like all of them. Okay, so his first novel is The Time Machine. Imagine inventing an entire genre in your first book. I know. It's so true, right? It's like Mary Shelley. She accidentally invented a genre as well. And H.G. Wells did more or less the same thing. But even this first of his books does have horror elements in it because there are the, the mutants in the future. It's been a long time since I've read this book, but... 
at some point he ends up in the future and there's like another species of Morlocks, 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 yeah, Morlocks. Thank you. The Morlocks. And he goes forward into the future and encounters the Morlocks in the, or perhaps it's like another dimension and they are like terrifying monsters. You know what I mean? So there's horror elements in even his first book. And you know what's cool about that is it's so based in science because he's like, this is where Darwin's evolution could go wrong, right? Exactly. We could have this divergence of species to where these aren't just monsters. These are humans, Mm -hmm. you know, that have devolved or evolved or whatever it is into these creatures that live under the earth. That's pretty fucking dope. And it pushes that same question that we always ask is, what is a human? Are these still yes, humans? Yes, yes. They once were humans. Okay, so then his third book pushes that question even further, and it's The Island of Dr. Moreau. Uh, and The Island of Dr. Moreau is, I mean, it couldn't be more terrifying. It's one of the scariest books, I mean, at least as far as premise goes ever. And if you don't know this one, it's about a mad scientist who creates human-like hybrids, animal hybrids using animal vivisection, basically putting animal and human parts together to create a different species. And Dude, this is one of my favorite fucking premises. I love it because it's so horrifying and it's fucking happening right now. Mm. Every every other week you fucking look in because I read so much science. They are doing it right now, man. I've t- I've put this on Instagram stories where they've are they're already creating like human pig hybrids. I think it's fucking awesome because uh, it's, it's so a, terrifying. A, a it's so terrifying. Is the name name for that, I believe. Yes. Yeah, and you know, there are people with baboon hearts. <laughs> Yeah, and pig, pig, Arnold Schwarzenegger, pig artery. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Not to mention basically all genetic research, cloning, all of that stuff all kind of ties back to this too. And I'll play heavily into modern science fiction as well. Okay, then after The Island of Dr. Moreau, he has a, a couple of books later, he releases The Invisible Man. You know, that ended up being one of the universal movie monster franchises that was extremely successful, which we'll, we'll get into that in just a little bit. But this book stayed popular for a really long time. In fact, I just saw another adaptation of it that was released like last year. Not a perfect movie, but still damn scary. A being that you can't see, that you can't sense, that you can only tell it's present when you it wants you to know. It's like one of the better mashups of horror and science fiction of all time, and it just keeps being remade. And, you know, in a way, I think The Invisible Man represents death himself, at least subconsciously. It's a enemy that can strike you down at any time that you can't see and you're not aware of unless it wants to make you aware of itself, if that makes sense. Yeah. And and one of the cool things about that premise that is so dope is that it's equal parts horror of what someone can do if they have that power and also fantasy like, hey, you can be free of society. You can just roam around and do whatever the F you want without all these bureaucratic and societal pressures, right? You're free. And so much of uh, such a great premise really kind of requires that. Really great science fiction makes you understand why mad scientists do the stuff they do. (laughs) Right? That's a good point. There's an incentive for them to be doing it. You know what I mean? And that's what makes mad science so scary and dangerous is that well, sure, people would do that if they got an opportunity. Wouldn't you turn yourself invisible? I mean, who the hell wouldn't do that? 
you're able to relate to the objectives of the bad guys in a lot of science fiction, at least early on. Okay, so after The Invisible Man... No, I, I and by the way, well, I'll just want to say I loved the latest in, uh, Invisible Man um, mm-hmm. freaking movie with yeah. Elizabeth Moss from Handmaid's Tale. I thought it was amazing. I thought it was really cool. Yeah, I thought it's really good. There are a couple of the scenes that don't make sense to me. Yeah, it wasn't perfect, but it was. It was some social freaking cues there. It was really cool, man. Absolutely, absolutely. If you guys haven't seen that one, it's definitely it's worth it, and it's pretty scary. And you know. Again, we're touching on this very classic science fiction tale, so it's worth checking out if you're not somewhat familiar with the Invisible Man storyline. So after uh, The Invisible Man, the next year, H.G. Wells releases The War of the Worlds. And if guys, if you haven't listened to our episode about The War of the Worlds, I'd really recommend that you maybe pause this episode and go give that one a listen, because we go really deep into the book and its implications and its legacy in science fiction, because really it's the first alien invasion book ever and before we even got into the episode we were talking about or at least maybe we were already in the episode but we were talking about ufo footage and we're going to talk about a bunch of other examples of ufo uh, invasion type plot lines and it weighs heavily on the human mind because it is that unknown it is that unknown and that's what i think really essentially at the very core of it is the biggest similarity between science fiction and horror is that they both deal with the unknown and is their, their main focus. And unlike fantasy, science fiction and horror both deal with what could actually happen. Not all horror could actually happen. Some horror is fantasy, but horror, unlike science fiction, fantasy transcends genre Horror can be part of any genre at all, or part of nonfiction. Horror exists in real life. You know, fantasy does not exist in real no, life. No, horror, I, I think there's this part of the human psyche, because when we're all kids, I mean, we see it everywhere around us, from the way that human beings completely are destroying the environment, to the way as kids, you take a magnifying glass and just freaking burn ants alive right whatever Absolutely. it is or put like uh, put ant, uh, red ants i remember doing this red ants and black ants together in a cup to see who would win and it's like dude if something comes that's just a little bit stronger or how about any of you cat lovers i'm a cat lover always had cats they are effing serial killers they don't give a oh, yeah, shit 100%. And it's like, dude, if something comes along that's just a little bit freaking more powerful than humans, we're in for a horror show. Yeah, we're going right and in the we jar. know it. And we know it. <laughs> Another great one. I actually didn't put this on my list. I didn't, hadn't planned to talk about it. But real quickly, I'll, I'll mention, and this is more or less the, what you're describing is more or less the plot of Fantastic Planet, the 1973 Rene Leloup animated French Yes. Film. I just saw that like a, a month ago. I was like, what the? fuck is this it was so good talk about trippy and horrifying give that one a go so war of the worlds which is about martians landing on earth and immediately starting murdering everyone really set the standard for that genre first of all it's been remade so many times go listen to the episode if you didn't pause already and understand how significant it was to science fiction you know, I'll leave off H.G. Wells there, even though he wrote several more books. 
tons more, several that probably could fit into this discussion. It's just too much to focus on one author. But I just want to express that his contribution to science fiction and science fiction horror was massive, probably unparalleled. Okay, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit because another book, novella, short fiction, came out about 40 years later in 1938. And I think it's really the next significant step in science fiction horror. And that is Who Goes There by John W. Campbell Jr. He actually released it under the pen name Don Stewart, and he released it serialized in Astounding Fiction magazine. But Who Goes There is the basis for The Thing, which was made famously into a couple of different movies. And the reason I think that this story is so significant to science fiction horror are a couple of reasons. One, it really pushes that alien invasion idea to a whole nother level. It's aliens using guerrilla warfare. It's aliens using deception and not just assaulting us on battle lines. And that idea is really scary because how do you possibly prepare for that? Another thing is that in the story, who goes there or the thing, the alien is able to mimic human beings perfectly. Mm -hmm. So much so that other human beings can't tell that the person they're talking to is not actually a human being. And that pushes that same question that we always ask, what does it mean to be a human being even further? Yeah, we've seen that trope so many times, right? It's terrifying. It's, it's one of the most terrifying tropes. And again, it was introduced at least into the mainstream by this, this short story. And the thing I really like most about this, the reason I wanted to hit on it the most is because the very title of the story, Who Goes There, is literally a admission to being afraid of the unknown. It is saying, I am afraid of the unknown. I, as a human being, what I do not know and understand frightens me. And that's what Who Goes There means. It could almost as easily be what goes there. But I actually really like that John Campbell decided with who and to personify the alien because it adds to that. Is it human? Is it not human? What is human? What's happening here? What is reality? Element to that story. Yes. I love it. We'll talk about some of the other offshoots of this story a little bit later on. Okay. So after that, there was the 40s. And during the 40s, Hollywood more or less got put on hold except for making patriotic war type films. And there were some other stuff mixed in there and there were comic books being released. But horror kind of took a backseat for a while because I think people were seeing plenty of real life horror every single day and didn't really need it in their entertainment. You know, <laughs> the horror of war, which again, like we said, horror is very real. Horror is not like fantasy. Horror is a very, very real thing that exists in real life. True crime would be considered a genre. Of yeah. Horror. Jack the Ripper. Uh, yeah, no doubt. Exactly. Exactly. It's slasher films are based on, you know, real life incidents in a lot of way, you know, oh, yeah. Texas Chainsaw Massacre is based on Ed Gein, et cetera, et cetera. That's not science fiction. So I'm going to let that sleeping dog lie for right now. But suffice to say, horror is not a pretend thing, you know, and World War II definitely proved that the, the horrors of the lives lost, the horror of the Holocaust. This is all very, very real stuff. And so there was like a break in which horror didn't really have that much popularity. But after World War II ended, life at least in America, became very easy, at least compared to how it had been in the past. And of course, I say this, you know, it became very easy for white men. 
but easier for everybody, at least in from uh, to some degree. Uh, the economy was at least doing very well. Uh, there was very little danger in the United States. So because of that, horror blew right back up again. The horror genre uh, blew right back up again. And because we had just exited or just entered the nuclear age with the bombing of Nagasaki and Hiroshima, science fiction was also on the forefront. So there was this just slew of science fiction horror movies being made in the 1950s. Just tons and tons and tons of movies. We talked about The Thing already. That was made into a film in the 50s. A movie called Them about giant irradiated ants came out in 1954. Mm -hmm. One of my favorites and one that we've talked about in a previous episode, Godzilla, came out in 1954, which monster movies are sort of like a subgenre of science fiction. If you guys haven't listened to the Godzilla episode, check that one out as well. Then another really seminal science fiction story came out that I think kind of added to the game. And that is invasion of the body snatchers. And that's based on the body snatchers by Jack Finney, which came out in 1954 invasion. of The body snatchers came out in 1956, the film. And this is basically about seed pods falling down from the sky that can replicate human beings. Exactly. And then just replaces the actual human being with the replicant human being. And of course these people have no emotions, but they still, in all other ways, in all other characteristics, are human beings. You know, seemingly, physically, their genetics are human. Which begs that question again. What is real? What exactly. is real? What becomes more horrifying than what is real? When you think about it, like when you're a body snatcher, let's you're a pod person, you're one of the pod people. From your perspective, you're a perfectly normal person. Oh, I know. No doubt, dude, because you're sitting there and then it starts making it's like the Matrix, right? You start questioning exactly. your own reality. You're like, wait a minute. Maybe I am a fucking pot person, right? Am I real? What is real? What is it? Yeah, dude, it's so heavy. Very psychedelic, like we were saying at the beginning of the episode. Yeah, and they, they, they got made into a slightly more psychedelic version of that in the 70s as well with Leonard Nimoy. And another story I just wanted to mention real off-handedly, a short story, which is a really great science fiction horror short story by one of my favorite authors is The Hanging Stranger by Philip K. Dick. Um, it can be found in a number of his collections. It ties into the, some of these same elements we're talking about with the body snatchers and with who goes there in some ways. So I recommend that short story. I won't really go into the premise of it because it's not very long. It's only like six pages long or something like that. So check that one out, guys. And uh, I, I recommend that. And also, if you do read it, and it's your first time reading it, let me know. You know, Reach out and let me know because I love it when I'm able to turn people on to stuff like that. Also in the 50s, The Fly debuted mm. in 1958. And that's kind of a accidental Island of Dr. Moreau situation where technology accidentally creates a human-animal hybrid chimera and the horror that ensues from that. And this was very famously- Cronenberg and Goldblum, right? Yeah, remade in the 80s with David Cronenberg with his incredible body horror masterpiece, <sighs> which makes the 50s fly look like <sighs> crap. The 80s but. Cronenberg, that is a masterpiece, man. Gold, Goldblum is so good. The 50s fly is not crap. It was just crap compared to Cronenberg's version. For the time, for the drive through movie stuff, it was a fairly well-made movie. It's got Vincent Price in it. Also in the 50s, Attack of the 50-Foot Woman about a woman being blown up to gigantic size through alien technology. It's a pretty simple plot design, 
But the idea I think that matters the most in that story is that one person is able to wield so much, a significant amount of power over everyone else is to be considerably more powerful than everyone else. And that's a fear that everyone has of being, you know, a fascism of having one person control everything, you know, kind of like how Jeff Bezos does now. Right. (laughs) It's a deep rooted fear. You know, people don't want to be controlled necessarily or some apparently some people well, do. it's it's interesting because we have like as human beings we have this desire to worship like people like that we want to put them on a pedestal you know like trump was and all that and, and then it's like but at the same time there's that fear I, that's such a fucking weird impulse man both of those it is the yin it yang is. of those two yeah and it's just part of human nature and it's part of the exploration of human nature and uh you know answering questions about you know ourselves things we don't understand about ourselves uh, i know that's a big part of horror okay another thing from the 50s i wanted to mention is the novel i am legend by richard matheson which has been made into uh, three different films and the very premise of this is that a disease wipes out everybody except for one person and everyone who besides this person who is alive is not really human anymore they're vampire like zombie like ghouls that have their own crazy society that the only human left is horrified of. And, you know, they basically attempt to treat him like prey and prey on him. This is really in a lot of ways, kind of like the beginning of the zombie genre, which you mentioned very briefly before. And before we get to that, I'm just gonna say I am legend sort of leads into the next really big breakthrough in science fiction. And I think that is the zombie genre. And a lot of people might say zombies aren't really science fiction because, you know, there have been undead characters throughout history. There's always been undead, you know, brought back to life characters. I don't know how old the religion of voodoo is, but, you know, they were supposedly creating zombies at some point in their history. And that certainly predates the 60s. So zombies aren't very original thought, but attributing them to science is and saying that science can reanimate these bodies very much like Mary Shelley did in her novel Frankenstein became a science fiction trope. I, I love the, the I Am Legend, the Will Smith premise where they were coming up with a vaccine for cancer and it just all of a sudden turned into a fucking pandemic and here we are. And hopefully this one will mutate to that stage. But uh, but yeah. And anti-vaxxers are going to listen to this episode and be like, See, Will Smith said so. Said so. <laughs> Dude, that's a, that's a couple of Will Smith references so far in this episode, and I'm here for it. Right, right. Okay, so in Night of the Living Dead, in uh, George A. Romero's epic 1968 masterpiece, Night of the Living Dead, and if you guys haven't seen the 1968 version of Night of the Living Dead, watch it right away. It is one of the best independent movies ever made. It's got awesome social commentary. It's got great horror effects for the time for an independent film. It's got great acting and it's scary as shit. It is still a super scary ass movie. And this is the first movie that attributed undead to something science fiction E in this movie. The scientists are theorizing that they're, I'm reading this sentence off of Wikipedia right now, but I, you know, I had a general idea, but I want to get it exactly right. Scientists theorize that the reanimations are occurring due to radiation from a space probe that exploded in Earth's atmosphere on its way back from Venus. And the implication there being that somehow something on Venus, some radiation from Venus, is able to reanimate human corpses and turn them into cannibals, which is 
very, very scary. Very scary. One of the reasons I think this is such an important movie is because it really kind of takes in all of those elements of the previous science fiction, like Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. It's got the reanimation of corpses. Alien invasion. It's got elements of that. What does it mean to be a human being? What that question of what does it mean to be a human being? It's got that, you know, and it kind of merges them all into this hour and a half long, very scary movie, which birthed in a genre that is probably still probably one of the most popular genres in film, I'd say, at this point, the zombie genre. I still think even now, not all zombie genres or zombie movies are necessarily based in science fiction. I mean, I still think there are some that are fantasy, pure fantasy stories, but most, to my knowledge, like the rage virus, it's a virus, very scientific. And that's in 28 Days Later. And that's one of your favorites. Oh, yeah. I think you mentioned. And, you know, you have I Am Legend to thank for 28 Days Later, because I Am Legend gave birth to Night of Living Dead, which gave birth to 28 Days Later. And Return of the Living Dead, one of my personal favorite zombie movies, it's a chemical ends up in the atmosphere, like a military created chemical that can create zombies. It's just another really great example of horror and science fiction going hand to hand because of the question, what would happen if? I agree. I, that's one of my, I, I always think about that movie and it's just 28 days later and Danny Boyle. And it's so interesting when you start getting into the lineage of horror films like this and how something as you know old as i am legend how it just kept and i think it was it was omega man right at one point yeah omega man was the omega man's the second okay so after the novel came out in the 50s there were three movies one called the last man on earth in the 60s then omega man with charleston heston which i think came out 1973 and then will smith's turn of the willennium i am legend movie (sighs) so good man Pretty underrated movie, to be honest with you. Like, I think it d- tells that story pretty well. No, I think it was amazing, dude. It was so scary. It was just took that, like, kind of castaway kind of idea mm-hmm. where you have one actor, you know, for such a long period of the movie. And it's just that solitude. And it's just fucking. And that's what the premise really was, right? It's like you're the last man mm-hmm. standing, you know? A few other things, you know, when we talk about, like, this same premise, there was a really great Twilight Zone episode about this subject. And the Twilight Zone often played with science fiction and horror. So there's another really good reference for science fiction and horror. The Outer Limits did a lot of the same thing. So, you know, television studios and popular culture was recognizing that these two genres blended together was a recipe for success. Then a director came along and decided to completely change the game of science fiction. And that was Stanley Kubrick. And he did so with this 1968 film, 2001, A Space Odyssey, which we also have an episode about if you want to go back and listen to that one. And while 2001, A Space Odyssey isn't horror throughout, it does contain a horror short film within it. Absolutely. You know, the entire sequence with HAL 9000 is a horror movie. I don't really think you, there's any other way to interpret it as anything but science fiction. Horror. No, you're a prisoner in an, in an environment in which you have no control and you are his prey. You're the mouse yeah, to the cat that is going to decide through rational logic what he's going to do with you. And who knows? Who knows? You may survive. You may not. Dude, that, that, that segment of the movie is so intense, man. I love it. One of the things I really think that that did was up the ante for the quality of filmmaking that would be necessary for future audiences. 
we all owe uh, Stanley Kubrick a big thank you for that one, in my opinion, because he said, well, I'm going to make a science fiction horror movie, but I'm not going to make cheap crap. I'm going to make it be as good as any of my other movies. You know, it's going to be an auteur masterpiece, but it still used those elements. He still asked those really great, what does it mean to be a human being? He definitely asked that question, like, how different is Hal from a human being? You know, yeah. all Hal wants to do is survive. And because of that, all of that section of the story, the, the horror film section of that movie plays out because of that, because of a very basic human instinct on the part of an artificial intelligence. Okay, so then the 70s, I think, kind of like took a step away from horror in science fiction. And for a while there, sci-fi was very whimsical, you know, Star Wars, Close Encounters, you know, and even though that's, you know, there are kind of scary parts of both of those movies, they're not really going to qualify as horror and like Dark Star. And they're not very scary movies. They're definitely movies that ask the question, what if in a slightly more positive way? Star Trek was really popular in the late 60s and then the animated series in the 70s and then the film started being made in the 70s. And science fiction kind of took a different turn for a while. I'm sure there are some really, really great examples of early 70s science fiction horror that I'm overlooking. Well, one, of course, I mentioned earlier is Fantastic Planet, the animated film. And if you haven't seen that one, check it out. I'd actually kind of love to do an episode about just that someday when we get around to it. Absolutely. But then in 1979, Ridley Scott debuted Alien. And Alien, in my opinion still probably holds the crown for the scariest science fiction movie, the most horrifying. And this is a really cool uh, like example of science fiction horror because it is so realistic. It's a lived-in science fiction, a dirty science fiction. All of the people in the movie are very relatable, average-type people, and they're up against something they don't understand that is far more powerful and... You can't reason with it in any way, and they're trapped on it. And Alien is perhaps one of the better just straight-up horror movies ever made, not just science fiction horror movies. Yeah, I agree. I think Alien set the bar, and it really set a new direction on saying, listen, this is not only a good and profitable freaking segment of filmmaking, but this is it. This is like the freaking mm-hmm. bar. This is where we need to go. And uh, absolutely, yeah, it was amazing. Okay, so uh, I think we're kind of caught up. Okay, I mean, obviously, Alien came out forty-one years ago, so you know, there's been a lot of films since then that have definitely changed the bar of science fiction, horror, whatever. But I think as far as twentieth-century films go. That is sort of like the pinnacle. I think that's where they peaked. There have been plenty of movies. Terminator, terrifying movie, could easily be considered horror in part. It almost is like a slasher film in some ways. No, and, and you know what's cool about Terminator 2 is that you have two different stories that are both, for, and it's kind of like a mashup where you, you're right. You have this one element where it's a slasher, where he is the ultimate fucking serial killer. He comes back and has no conscience and just wants to murder, right? When yep, he starts yep. going through the, the phone book of Sarah, Sarah Connors and just starts executing, it's like, oh my God. But then you have this idea in the future that humanity is done. You are doomed. Right. You are being hunted like freaking cockroaches. And we're done. And this is the last hope is this Sarah Connor who is so ill-equipped to save humanity. It's so fucking right. genius. 
one of those really great elements of horror is being powerless you know is, yeah. is being uh kept kept in the jar it's being tied down held down and killed yeah. you lose all power when you lose your life and, and, you know and what I mean? harkens back to hg wells it's another time travel movie right absolutely and in a way it's not that different from the time machine because you know in the future there is this master race that exterminates people like it's totally totally different machines and not just differently evolved humans but you know essentially it's very similar yeah we talked about the thing already uh great re- both of those movies had the thing and the fly both had awesome remakes in the 80s as well as the blob another really cool science fiction horror movie from the 50s that i kind of overlooked there's a ton there's so many i had a really cr- cool remake in the 1980s predator in its own way is a horror movie i would say it's equal parts action science fiction and horror yeah being stalked by a killer monster you know and in a way it's also a slasher movie you know uh, the difference being that it's prey or powerful killers themselves but i think that kind of like helps demonstrate exactly how scary the predator is you know yeah it's uh, what i liked about predator it kind of leads into one of my favorite um movies as far as uh sci-fi horror which is sunshine but what i like about predator is that you again you have a genre mashup you're starting with this almost like central american military movie right and they're on the ground and it's just all of a sudden it just morphs halfway through and you're like holy shit man we are in once again a slasher movie this like monster in a box is really the genre um, or the trope is monster in a box. How many of us can mm-hmm. survive, you know? And, uh, yeah, it's alien in a jungle. Yeah. Alien in a jungle. That's how freaking rad and important alien is because you have that trope, that alien, that monster in a box. And, uh, and again, that's why I love sunshine. Same type of the thing. Absolutely. When you mentioned sunshine, I think another really good movie that I think would make a good reference here is event horizon. Mm-hmm. which came out in 97 event horizon was such a good freaking thing i was just on the scary thoughts podcast talking with the guys about that they're such big fans of our podcast and uh, one of the guys does jujitsu and they're like dude come on come talk about event horizon but it's such a good freaking mashup like that right where you have absolutely yeah. in outer space i love it and that's a really cool premise that a wormhole opens and the chip travels through the wormhole and then it eventually comes back through the wormhole. And during that time period that it was gone, it was in another dimension. But that other dimension is what humans have always thought of as hell and, you know, filled with demons and all that stuff. So it comes back basically demon possessed. Yeah. It's like the shining in outer space. It's so yes, rad. It's almost like the shining in outer space, more Stanley Kubrick influence there, you know, and there are some other really, really great examples. More recently, I think ex machina is oh. a cool, uh, like a psychological thriller. If it's not a horror movie, it's definitely a psychological thriller. I do think it's got plenty of good horror elements. It too. does for sure. Under the Skin with Scarlett Johansson was a really cool, really wild, and really fucked up. That was such an artsy, weird freaking movie. I love the special effects in that. So artsy. I want to go back, though, to Sunshine was a a film from 2000 that was directed by Danny Boyle. Danny Boyle is one of my 
favorite freaking directors. And he also did 28 Days Later, but he did mm-hmm. Sunshine with Alex Garland. Alex Garland wrote it. Alex Gar- Garland also wrote and directed Ex Machina. Mm-hmm. Sunshine, 2007 movie that Quentin Tarantino said, this movie is one of the best sci-fi movies ever made until you get to the third act. <laughs> because, and, and, and an interesting thing about that movie is Danny Boyle says, the biggest mistake I made directing that movie was we took too much money for the budget. So I think the budget for that movie was uh, 32 million or 40 million. And he said, because we took that much money, as opposed to 28 days later was filmed on cheap, cheap, cheap little handheld cameras. And that's the reason it's so like really stuttery. And, uh, and, and, but for sunshine, he's like, we took too much money and the, the studio got so involved. They forced us to change the third act and I just got overwhelmed and it ruined the movie. But up until that last part, because it becomes kind of a, a monster in a box. It does. It totally right? does. It's just the last third, the third act is just a monster in a box. But until then, that movie is freaking amazing. Amazing. Movie. I think I- it has some really cool science fiction elements in it. I do think the movie does tend to fall apart at the third act. It doesn't really make a lot of sense what happens in the third exactly. act. Exactly. But yeah. it's still very scary. No, I loved you it. Know? Yeah, I still loved it. Yeah. Even it's not the most logical movie ever. It's, it's still pretty scary and intense. There's a couple other things I want to talk about before we end the episode. But before we do, I need to go back quite a bit and acknowledge Lovecraftian mm. lore because I completely yeah. overlooked it when I was talking about science fiction and I think the Cthulhu mythos and Lovecraftian mythos is really, really important to science fiction and science fiction horror specifically HP Lovecraft as a human being, as a being a shitty human being, you know, notwithstanding, you know, he was a white supremacist dirtbag. He sucked, but his imagination really produced a lot of cool stuff. And this is definitely one of those times where you're trying to like separate the art from the artist. And that probably happens quite a bit with science fiction. I, you could probably go back and say similar things of writers I've mentioned earlier. I just don't know those things about them. But At the Mountains of Madness, one of my favorite stories ever. The Cthulhu Mythos, one of my favorite series of stories ever. And I, I think there's some really, really cool horror ideas in those stories, especially the idea that the Earth and the universe being so, so, so very old that entire previous histories of entire completely unrelated species with untold power have come and gone in the sands of time and you know perhaps exist outside of time now and those are all really cool really heady concepts and you know i got to give him credit for that and if i i feel like if i did an episode about science fiction horror and failed to mention that that you know i would get jeered right off the stage but i want you guys to know i very much appreciate that stuff and you know i'm always posting pictures of cthulhu because that stuff. Yeah, I mean, look at the end of uh, Watchmen. I mean, he, Alan Moore, completely exactly. brought in that creature that was so Lovecraft. I love that, man. And, you know, there's plenty of Lovecraft in a lot of these other stories we've mentioned, too. Uh, one that we have not mentioned yet, but definitely has tons of Lovecraftian elements to it that I know you're a big fan of, too, is Annihilation uh, by Jeff Vandermeer. Gosh, yes. That trilogy of books. I really, again, we'll just touch on that. That trilogy, the movie by Alex Garland was amazing. I love that creature in the end. It's so mm. freaking psychedelic. 
But I have gone, I've eaten so many edibles and rewatched that again and again and again. <laughs> but the book is amazing because it's really about, like, I, I just w- have been for the past, like, two months in northwest Florida up by Tallahassee. And that's where he was, it becomes a character. He brings that, like, deep south swampy type of an area in as a character in the book. And it's fucking i've never seen it done like that so i really recommend that those three books the first one is amazing they're really cool books because they're written in different different perspectives different character perspectives each one is written from a different character's perspective of the events and the events are really strange and deeply deeply unsettling and scary just a slow burn where you're just like it is it's just a slow burn it is a slow burn, and they made a film out of it with Natalie Portman, and it's not bad. It's not bad. I think it's a bit reductive when you've read the trilogy. It is, for know, sure, but, that's, but it's th- good. I enjoyed it. I think that's true of pretty much every, almost every you know, film adaptation, so I don't really blame them for that. And there's some truly scary parts in that movie, too, like truly terrifying. But, it, but that last third to me is fucking magical, man. It's like, yeah, it wow. Is. He really, Alex Garland really went there. So I dig that, man. I thought it was really cool. Some other just ones I thought worth mentioning that are like science fiction horror, Dark City. I was just thinking of Dark City. That I used to make people come over to my house and I'd put, I had the DVD and I'd make them watch it every time and they would just be like what the fuck is wrong with you <laughs> yeah it's a great movie. movie it's a great underrated movie i used to when it came out it was like my favorite movie for like a year and it Dude, came out me like too. right around me too it, the matrix came out right after it and i had just seen dark city and everybody was about the matrix and don't get me wrong i think the matrix is a tight tight movie but it really does rip off dark city a lot or maybe not rip it off it's just such a similar idea you know, I, I don't want to say it ripped it off because, you know, Dark City came out in 98, Matrix came out in 99. It seems unlikely that the Wachowski saw Dark City and were like, okay, let's make a movie in one year starting yeah, right now. so similar. But it's so, it is so similar. But Dark City is way more horror. Yeah, it's definitely more horror. But it does, I mean, in the end, it is science fiction. The bad guys are aliens. No, it's sci-fi horror for sure. Cube, which is a really cool psychological horror science fiction movie which uh, you know brings has a lot of really cool elements it's kind of a b movie you know if you guys have never seen cube it's definitely kind of a b movie but there's some really cool philosophical thought in cube that i think is worth checking out also uh supernova 2000 that was in 2000 that's a very schlocky b movie but fun uh kind of like an event horizon where they go out into deep space and it's vampires so it's cool, but I liked it. I thought it was cool, man. It's not great, but it's fun. One of the, the best things you could do for yourself is start liking movies that aren't great movies. You know what I mean? Allow yourself to like a movie, even if it's not like technical wizardry, even if it's like, yeah. you know, every acting performance isn't going to draw Academy Award attention. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can like movies even when they're not great. No. But you know, it's like them for different reasons. That's all there is to it. Usually there are different reasons to like not just movies, books, and all sorts of stories. I think that's the cool thing about like this genre is that it's so deep and there are just so many great movies and okay movies and movies with good acting and some with bad acting and just different. It's mm-hmm. just so deep of a, this sci-fi horror genre. Absolutely. And, you know, I could sit here and list movies. I like I made a huge list before I started this and I've been kind of going over it and trying to decide which ones are important to talk about and which ones aren't. 
But even like modern, like some of the most popular modern horror movies and some of the highest rated ones are like, okay, Jordan Peele's 2017 movie, Get Out, was a sensation when it was released. And that movie is a science fiction horror movie when you finally get down Very to what's Twilight actually going Zone. on. In totally it. Twilight Zone, right? Very Twilight Zone, which makes sense because Jordan Peele right. took over the Twilight Zone franchise. Even in modern storytelling, these ideas keep coming through, you know, and they keep coming through. Us. I thought his movie Us was like that, too. It was so dope. Very like, whoa, what the fuck was that? You know, The Mist, which came out in 2007 based on a Stephen King short story, is epic science fiction horror, really messed up stuff. Moon, made by Duncan Jones in 2009. Yeah, starring uh, Sam Rockwell. Is a great psychological horror movie. Dude, that's one of my favorite movies. I love the Ex Machina and Moon and 2001 are just like, fuck, man, sci-fi horror, amazing. I think that's kind of kind of wrap up our discussion on this. Uh, we could probably sit here and talk about science fiction horror genre for days. Yeah, I know. Without, without running out of stuff to talk about. But uh, I just think we've touched on why and how the two genres overlap. And how and why the two genres are like really important to the human psyche. That's really what I wanted to do is make understand that people understand that when you ask the question, what if one of the answers could be positive and the other answer could be negative. And both of those potentialities should be examined. And even if you didn't want to, your mind is going to make you anyway. And I think it's healthy to examine your fears, examine your anxieties of the unknown, including those of just death, just plain old, the, the ultimate mystery. And I think for that reason, horror is an extremely important genre. Yeah, and the sci-fi adds the psychedelic element to it, right? And when you deal with psych- horror and science fiction combined, you deal with real potentials, like things that could very well happen to us. You know, that makes them extra scary, you know? There, are, there are, is horror about things that could never happen, goblins eating our faces and, you know, whatever else. And those are cool too. Don't get me wrong. Fantasy's got definitely has its place, but you know, I'm really looking forward to exploring a lot of these ideas in infinite horrors, the new magazine that I mentioned earlier in the episode, which I'm aiming at this moment to try to release the first issue. The same day I release issue 11 of infinite worlds magazine, which would be March of 2022. So that gives me a little like less than a year to get it going, but that's my goal right now. Guys, if you're listening, one thing you could really, really help me do to make that happen is to subscribe to Infinite Worlds magazine because the more money I'm able to make from Infinite Worlds magazine, and I can assure you it's not a lot, the more I'm able to expand and create infinite horrors and to do these podcast episodes and all that stuff because this is right now is my only job. So, uh, you know, if you guys want to support me financially, it would be awesome. And Infinite Worlds is full color, ad free, limited edition. The direct editions are uh, hand numbered and you could buy them at your comic book store. If you just go to your comic book store and if they have a diamond distributors account and ask them to look out for infinite worlds magazine, that would be super awesome of you. Dude, I can't wait. I'm so freaking pumped. All right, man, that was freaking awesome. Great episode. I think we'll do another one in a few weeks. I will be completely out of quarantine and uh, in the UK. So I'm pumped on it, man. Dude, enjoy your uh, time in London, and we'll think of a follow-up episode to this. Well, we don't have a topic yet, but we'll come up with one pretty shortly. But in the meantime, man, have some vacation. Enjoy yourself. See some Europe. And then uh, we'll talk about that when we record the next episode. I will do, man. Thanks, brother. Adios. All right, brother. 
Take it easy. Guys, if you're enjoying the Infinite Worlds podcast, you could definitely check out more Infinite Worlds related stuff by visiting our website, infiniteworldsmagazine.com. There you can subscribe to Infinite Worlds Magazine. It's a full-color, ad-free science fiction magazine featuring stories, comics, and illustrations from creators all over the world. You can also sign up to our mailing list. You can follow us on Instagram at Infinite Worlds Magazine or on Twitter at IWSciFiMag. Also, you can find Nick the Tooth on Instagram at Nick the Tooth and follow his wild escapades. Theme song was written by Christopher Whitaker. And our podcast is produced by Andrew Alonzo. 